Hey everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. Great to see everyone here. I can hear myself a lot louder now that we have a, a speaker over there and I'm wearing this microphone. So maybe I'll, I'll stop yelling as my wife keeps telling me uh, whenever I, I preach. So I hope you've all had a great week. Uh, my family did. We spent the first half of this week down at Cannon Beach uh, with about 60 other church planting families who are planting all over the Pacific Northwest. It was a time of encouragement, uh, worship, and uh, really just seeing what God is doing all throughout our region of the country. And so I know sometimes in church planting, especially those of you that are regular with us, it can feel lonely. It can feel like, are we the only ones doing this and setting up and tearing down and that we're small or we're in this really difficult place? And to go for us, I know you guys don't have the opportunity to do that, sorry, but um, for us to go and to see what God's using these families all over our region, just really encouraging. And our prayer as a church and with our, in our network of churches is that we see the next great awakening in America actually start and come out of the Pacific Northwest, one of the least reached uh, areas of our entire country. And if you study movements throughout history at all, they typically come on the backs and knees of God's people seeking God. And so this is one reason, you guys know I talk about this a lot, we do Tuesday morning prayer along with some other area churches hosted at Door of Hope's Northeast Building. That's one reason, because we believe that we've got to seek God. This is a move of God. It's not something we can create. It's not something we can get a whiteboard and, and come up with some strategy, although we do that as part of it, uh, but we really just believe God working and God reigning down in this place, especially a place like Portland. And just think if it came out of a place that's not known for that at all, how awesome that would be. Um, that's also why we're starting to prioritize things like worship nights with other church plants. And so uh, East Bridge, which we've got uh, Kevin and Jennifer and, and Seth here, so we appreciate you guys being here. So this coming Thursday night, as our two churches and then people from Woodstock Community Church as well, as we join in together um, just to really seek God and say, you know, we're small, we're three small church plants in this city. You've called us here for a reason. We want you to move, um, specifically on the east side of Portland, kind of selfishly is what we're asking for, um, but just to encourage encourage one another as we fellowship uh, together. And so please make that a priority. We do gospel community every single Thursday night, and so that should be a priority for you as already, but especially this coming Thursday night, and it will be down in Southeast Portland in Selwood. Uh, this evening, we're going to pick back up in our series, United in Christ. Uh, the author, the Apostle Paul, he started the second half of this letter for us by telling us to live a new life that is ours in Christ. And so the main idea that we saw is that believers, those those in Christ, Christians, are called to live out their new identity that they've been given in Jesus through a lifestyle that is different from their pre-Christian past. So um, kind of tradition is called your testimony. And if you look at your testimony before you became a, uh, a Christian and then what it looks like after you became a Christian, and, and the focus of that should always be Jesus, but that your life should look differently now. And the people around you should notice how your life looks different, how you're living. And so the idea is that if God has made us new, all this stuff that we've been looking at, all these things that Paul has declared over us, then we are to live an altogether different life. We are to now image God. And so I used the analogy last week, if you look at the mirror, and that what you should see is a reflection of really Jesus living in and through you. Although in your flesh, you're still going to do really disgusting things, things that you don't like about yourself. But when you, when you look, you see a reflection of Jesus. And that that is the, the reality that Paul is waking up the Ephesians to and to us. He's saying when God looks at you, he actually sees Jesus 
Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And so he's presenting us with this opportunity, like, what are the implications to live out this reality that is now yours? And so although our focus tonight is actually going to be on verses 18 through 21, I want us to pick back up where I ended last week with the last few verses from verses 15 through 17 of chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip them open. If you don't own a Bible, don't have one, there's blue Bibles in the back, or if you have an app on your phone, and then it might be behind me on the screen as well. I never turn around to actually see what's on the screen. He says, so look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so our behavior, once we are in Christ, should be marked as as wise. We're no longer to be caught up in the foolish things of the world. And that's kind of how they're described. Um, that, that really previously that distracted you. But we should take advantage of every opportunity that comes our way. And so we get opportunities every single day of our life, every single week. And sometimes we, we're foolish in those opportunities. And sometimes foolish opportunities come our way. But saying you should have wisdom now and the wisdom of Christ to live in a different way and to make a different decision. Psalm 90 verse 12 teaches us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so we live in a day where wisdom is desperately needed as a pathway to the the holiness that's already given to us in Jesus. And we're given the opportunity to make the best use of time, meaning our remaining time on earth. So it's easy for us to dwell on your past mistakes. Maybe you you are a Christian, but man, I had a horrible past. If you only knew the things that I did, my dad still tells me that to this day. So he became a Christ follower in his early 20s, but he still references these things he did in his past. Like if people just knew, and was like, what is it? Like, just bring it to light. Should you be in jail right now? Like, what, what is it you did? But but it's easy for him to reflect on those things. And I'm like, cool, you should really be reflecting on, like, how you've been made new in Christ. And now my dad's, and he just turned 68 this week. So I'm like, Dad, like, that was 40-some years ago. Like, you've really grown, and, like, you really look different now than what you did at that time. And I I don't know that. You know, my dad, he was a Christ follower, so I always knew him as this this person who's pursuing holiness. Um, But occasionally we'll come across family members like, oh, man, your dad back in the day. You know, but I never knew him that way. But they saw that change and that transformation take place in his life. Um, Dad, you're doing a great job if you listen to this at some point, just to be made clear. And so, um, but, but every day, so even if you make a mistake, which we do, and let's just say you're having a week, maybe it's today, maybe you've had a mistake today, and you've, you've fallen, you've sinned, or maybe it's just this, this week that every single day when you get up, there's new morning mercies that are provided for you. And I love that phrase. If you ever heard of Paul Tripp, he's got a devotional book called New Morning Mercies, probably one of the best modern day devotional books that's out there. And he just reminds you more and uh, every, every day when you wake up. You know, there's so many moments when I, I went through this last year, I'd wake up and it's just like this, I'm having a really bad day or I'm feeling down or I'm depressed or whatever. I'd read it and just be reminded of the mercies that are made new in Christ and just let that wash over me every single day as I wake up and start my day fresh. And so for those of you that were with us last week, we ended by asking this question. Do I demonstrate the glory of Jesus to the world in these areas? Now, in these areas, specifically last week, we looked at what can really be an uncomfortable passage. Uh, we, we focused heavily on the topic of sex. So that's the only time I'm going to mention that tonight, so I know there's some little ears in the room. And so that was somewhat an awkward uh, passage to go through, but we go through every single verse in the Bible. And so the question was, do I demonstrate the glory of Jesus to God in these certain areas of my life? And we're not done with the difficult passages yet and the difficult verses, although tonight's a little bit different. Tonight we're going to cover some what I call very relevant but often misinterpreted topics, things like, like booze, alcohol, drugs, even legal ones. Paul's going to dive in. And he's going to talk about those things. And do they have a place in the life of a believer um, at all, or should, they, should it be totally discarded? And so we're going to look at those things. 
I remember hearing the story from a pastor of a friend that they had been praying for for a long time. And this friend eventually gave his life over to Christ. And they were so happy because it had been months and months that they were just praying for this individual. And they had already planned on attending a concert festival the next weekend. And so the pastor, some with some of the other church people, were a little nervous because they knew this guy's life before he came to Christ. And he was a partier. So they said, what, what are we going to do there? He said, it'll be fine. We're going to be there with him. You know, now, now he's a Christian. Things will be okay. So they show up to the festival. Everyone's watching the first band. They're enjoying themselves. And in one moment, they look, and this guy who just became a Christian the week before is just running around wild. He, he's, he's drinking, he's taking shots, he's smoking marijuana. And, and so another one of the church guys comes up to the pastor and he's like, what, what are we going to do? Like, he, he is living the way that he did before he became a Christian. Like, we need to hold him accountable. He's sinning. We need to come down heavy-handed on him. But the pastor, uncertain of exactly what he should do, which I can totally relate. I had even a small situation last night. I wasn't sure what I should do. He stopped and he thought for a moment. And he looked at this other guy and said, he just gave his life to Christ. He may not even know yet that it's wrong to, to use or abuse these, these substances. And so he proceeded by saying, I think we should, we should make sure that he doesn't do something reckless. <laughs> let's make sure he doesn't go too crazy. And let's make sure he doesn't sleep with somebody or, or, or get in a car wreck or something like that. He's not driving tonight. Like we need to make sure those things are in place. He said at the same time, he has the same Holy Spirit inside of him now that you and I do. And so I think we need to wait this one out and just see exactly what happens. Now, most of us, that would not be our response at all, because we want to play the role of the Holy Spirit most oftentimes, if, if we're completely honest with one another. But two weeks later, they all get together. They have what they call their missional community, so that's basically equivalent to our gospel community. Nobody likes to call them small groups or Sunday school classes anymore. And so uh, we call ours our uh, gospel community. But they get together. Someone brought out the wine. They're having dinner, and they're, they're passing wine around, and it gets to this guy's place. And they notice that he takes the wine and passes it to the next person. And so the pastor looks at him and says, hey, what's up? You know, you don't want to drink wine? And the guy said, you know, um, after, after a couple weeks ago, we were, at the, we were at the concert. He said, something really strange started happening inside of me. And I just, I felt really bad about kind of how I acted there. And I just, my desires have changed. And there's certain substances that are legal that I just shouldn't do at all anymore. And I just don't have the desire to do them. And then, and then things like alcohol that I'm not, even, I'm not really sure about, I just know until I can handle it, that it's better for me not to partake in having a glass of wine at all. So now imagine the look on the face of the guy who was like, man, let's come down heavy handed on him. And even the pastor, like in that moment, like the light bulb goes off, like, wow, like this Holy Spirit stuff actually works. It doesn't have to be controlled by us. And so that's not always easy for us to do, though. And so I'll tell you that story because the verses that we're really going to kind of hone in on and focus on tonight, it's, it's telling us of, of some of the things to not do and other things that we are to do, but it's all about being filled with the Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And so let's continue on in Ephesians 5, looking at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Paul is very clear here by saying, do not get drunk. Now, we typically encounter two extremes when it comes to alcohol in the Bible. There's the ultra-conservative, which interprets the passage by saying, no alcohol at all, no ands, buts, or ifs. We're, we're not going to touch it. We're not going to go into the ABC store. We're not even going to walk down that aisle that sells the bottles of wine. 
And so this group throws out there every, any possibility that it's permissible to have alcohol in your life. The first group is similar to the background that I grew up in and the, and the environment that I grew up in. That was kind of my, my impression. You know, I remember we go to family members' houses, and it was like, you know what's in their fridge. Just you're going to have to ignore it. Pray for them as you open it and grab the Coke or you're grabbing the milk for your cereal. We'll, we'll talk about it on the way home from their, their house. I always knew that was coming. Now, then I was actually part of a church plant in college, and their official statement with the denomination that they're connected to made it sound like you were drinking the devil himself if you had any, any form of, of alcohol. So I really don't know what they would think of, of our communion time here. And so there was that extreme. Well, then you got the other group that in a city like ours where you most often encounter this version, which is that it's okay to get drunk so as long as I don't hurt anyone, so as long as I don't drive or do anything reckless. Like, that part is okay, right? I can, I can do this. It's just saying, use wisdom as you do this. And, and then many people who grew up the way that I did in that first camp, really, it, what, our response is kind of reactionary to that conservative upbringing. Like, well, I can do this. I've got freedom to do this. And I'm, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. Because it was so abused on this side that I'm going to take it and abuse it over here on this side. But Paul is not saying either thing. What Paul says is, do not get drunk. I think this is one of those, he makes it pretty plain and simple. It's not like we need to dive deeper, and well, this was this, and this is like, he says, do not get drunk. And so this is what you are to stop doing. Stop getting drunk. Why? He says, because being drunk leads to debauchery. What is debauchery? Because that is a pretty big word, and not a very, at least I don't think it's a common word. I don't use it in everyday language. I looked it up just to make sure. Um, Debauchery is extreme indulgences of sex. Sorry, I used the term again. Drugs and alcohol. And so you extremely indulge in those things. This makes me think of my trip to Las Vegas back in February, because I feel like if you go to Vegas, you're going to indulge in, in those things and then in gambling and maybe the food that they have to offer there. And then Paul's saying, it is never God's will for you to be drunk. And being drunk easily leads to other sins as one loses self-control. I can remember in college, and most of you probably can, the drunken stories at work the next day from all those who stayed up and party and all the people who had the hangovers. I worked at a restaurant that served burgers and fries, and so we had all the hangover people coming in, and then the co-workers who were also hungover and just, oh, man, I want, I want to eat these fries just to soak all this, this alcohol up where they had partied way too hard the night before. But Paul's not only referring to alcohol here. He's, he's saying, do not allow anything in this world to hold you under its influence. And so even legal things like marijuana. Now, we're not going to go off and, and spend a lot of time on this, but in our city where it is legal, you still have to look and go, am I going to be controlled by this substance? So I'm not ultimately going to make that judgment call for you, but if it's something that's controlling you and you don't have control over it, I believe that Paul is saying, do not do that, whatever that thing may be. And so and I, would, I would argue that marijuana is a bigger influence in our city than alcohol is, but they both have a pretty big stronghold here. And so he says, why? Because being influenced by such, such intoxicants leads to reckless living that darkens the life of living the light we're called to live. So he's, one thing, he's, he's breaking down the constant. You are in Christ. You are a light. You are to live in a different manner than what you previously did. And as a result, you're not to be known by these things. And you're only to be under the controlled substance of the Holy Spirit, which we can't control either. But that is what we're, that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, not with wine, not with these other things. And so Paul's first command was what not to do. He then follows up with a second command, which is to be filled with the Spirit. So he says, do not get drunk. But then he follows up and says, be filled with the Spirit, which is actually where he places most of his emphasis. I make note of that because when this passage, when I've heard it taught most often or when I've looked at it most often, it seems like alcohol is the focus. 
always leave with, with just getting hammered by some sermon by a pastor. And if you've ever had a drink, you feel just like entirely, um, you know, guilty. And man, I, I can't believe I went down the wrong aisle at the store or whatever. And it's like, that's not even the point of this passage. Like he mentions this, but then his point, his focus is on being filled with the spirit. For some reason, we, we get off on these tangents and we like to focus on everything we're against. And Paul's like, no, focus on what we're for. We're for being filled with the spirit of God. And so if you're filled with the spirit, the getting drunk part won't be an issue. It won't even, won't even be brought up. Because if you're being filled with the Spirit, that's not going to be a desire of yours in the first place. So that leads us to another question. What is the filling of the Spirit? Well, filled literally means to be permeated or intoxicated. Watch this is why this is in comparison to being drunk. So for those of you in the room who have been drunk, don't need to see a raise of hands, um, you'll, you'll understand that, that meaning a little bit deeper and that you're permeated by that, you're intoxicated by that and saying that is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But we cannot control the filling. But we are to make ourselves available to being filled. And the more we make ourselves available to God, the more we'll be ready to be filled with His Spirit. The, the original Greek verb is a very unique tense. And so to be filled is literally saying to be filled continually. It's something that happens over and over again. And so we, we have a nuanced uh, interpretations telling what this means. And I'm really looking at it from a very high view tonight. And so eventually we'll do just an entire study, maybe a, a series on the Holy Spirit. But it is a continual thing. It is something that's continually happening in our lives. And being filled with the Spirit is marked by such things, I just named a few, as self-control. It's marked by love in one's life, joy, having peace, having patience with one another, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. These are some of the marks of the Spirit of God and you being filled with the Spirit. And being Spirit-filled leads to joyful praise, he says, through singing and making melody, which we just did prior to me coming up here. And so this is the responsibility that you have in corporate worship. Your responsibility is to sing. Now, I know I'm not the loudest at singing, and I make sure this thing is muted because I don't necessarily have the best singing voice, but you have a responsibility, and that responsibility is so that Mandy's not the only one up here singing, that we all are to be singing this melody of the psalm because we're filled with the Spirit of God. So if you're not singing, not making a judgment call, but if you're not singing, it leads me to go, are they not Spirit-filled? What's going on in their life that's causing them to sit there with a blank face and to not be opening their mouth and pray? to the God of the universe who created us, who redeemed us, who called us, who adopts all these things that Paul is saying. And I imagine that Paul would say the same thing with me. So even if you can't sing, you have a responsibility. You know, that's why when you, when you come to a Sunday night gathering like this, it's not about just the person up here playing tonight happened to be Mandy. It's not just about the guy up here giving a message, which tonight happens to be me, or who's, who's helping do slides, or doing setup, or all this. It always have a part. Even if you didn't do any of those things, if nothing else, you're to open your mouth and praise to God. And so I remember, you know, when I, when I've, I mentioned overseas a lot because it's impacted my life. We lived over in South Asia. And then we get together with these brothers in, in places like Kathmandu, Nepal. We'd be sitting on a dirt floor, and they would just be crying their hearts out to God and just singing praise. And most of them couldn't sing at all. Like, we definitely wouldn't be putting them on the stage at our mega churches around here. But they're crying out to God. And I still reflect back on that, but maybe because I, I don't necessarily have the best singing voice either. And see, that's just a beautiful picture, though, that they, they don't care because it's not about the other person in the room listening, but it's about them and God. It's this, this vertical relationship that's happening. So I want to I see us kind of get over ourselves sometimes so we can worship God. God in unison. And understand doing things with excellence. I get pe people's like, we're going to do things with excellence. Like, I get that. But I think we also use that as an excuse just not to do things sometimes. It's not for us. It's for the Lord. It's for His glory. It's for His pleasure. 
John Piper on the Holy Spirit in, in this passage says, the fundamental me- meaning of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with joy that comes from God and it overflows in song. And then Acts 13, 52, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So there's several points of being filled with the Holy Spirit that uh, R. Kent Hughes kind of pointed out in his commentary I was using this week in preparation. He says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a command, it's not a suggestion. So if you're a Christ follower and you're, and you're like, well, is this, is this optional? Is this one of those, like, well, maybe I can do it or maybe I don't have to do it. Like, no, it is a command that you are to be filled with the Spirit. It is a plural command to the whole church. And so none of us is to go out and get drunk, but all of us are to be filled with the Spirit. So it's for the whole body collectively. The third thing, it says, it is a passive command. There's no ritual or formula. Now, I know some backgrounds and some denominations have kind of created different formulas, and, and, and I've been around those groups, and uh, now I just kind of have to laugh at some of that stuff. But it, there is no ritual. There is no formula. It says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. And so if, if there is a formula, to me, the formula is just a posture, and, and you don't necessarily have to raise your arms like this, but I just feel like it's this posture of just saying, like, like fill, Lord, fill me with your spirit. You know, I am available and do this. And so last, it presents a, a present tense command. It's not a one-time thing, but it's continuous. We are to go on being filled. In 20, verse 20, he continues, and he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, pray in faith in the name of Jesus as you trust in him as the mediator to God the Father. So as a result of the Spirit's filling, we express constant gratitude to God. We are to be marked as thankful people, not complaining people. I was thinking about uh, the Exodus and the Israelites. A couple, maybe two months ago now, I preached at another church in North Portland, and, and it was on the third time we saw the Israelites complaining after God continued to provide for them. And so I think about that, and they, they kind of remarked as these complaining people. Does that mark your life? What Paul's telling is we should be thankful people. And he's also pointing back to all the previous chapters of all these things that he's, he's already declared just in this book alone that God has done this for you. So regardless of what you're going through or what's your experience, you have much to be thankful for. This verse tells us to posture our thankfulness in a couple of ways. First, it says always. Be thankful always. And so do you ever take time in the midst of your busy day to pause and thank God for the things that he's provided for you? Think about that. Do you, do you ever take time to do that? I'll admit, I've gotten in a really bad habit of not always praying before I grab a meal. I'm just going from point A to point B. Half the time I'm making smoothies for my lunch so I can drink them and continue to work. But even if I'm going to a restaurant, it's just like real quick, I'm just eating it. And okay, next, next phone call, next email, next meeting. But if you think about always being thankful, this is just the smallest posture how we can pause in the middle of our busy day and just thank God for his provision in our lives. And really that provision represents a much bigger provision. My guess is most of us in here, if not all of us, have roofs over our heads. Most of us probably own at least one car per family. There's all kinds of things. And so our meal is just a small reflection of that. Not everyone in our city has all those things. So just thanking God for those things. And do you know how rare it is to stop and pray for a meal in a city like ours? I don't hardly ever see it. And then I kind of jump in with what the city's done. Because they don't see me doing it, and I don't see anyone else doing it. But a short pause and a simple prayer can give public witness and a testimony to God in our lives. And so, yes, it is a small reflection, but also it'll get the attention of those people around you. I've had people stop and 
you know, what are you doing? Or just rudely come in. I think they're doing that. Yes, the enemy working, just kind of coming in. And here's your food. Here's your burger and fries. Like, didn't you, didn't you see? I was, I was talking to somebody here. That was, that was rude. You just interrupted me. And I've had other people come up who, hey, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. This is great because we don't ever see this. So it encourages them. So you, there's numerous things like that through the smallest thing that, that I, and once I grew up in it with my parents' generation and in a different part of the country, that was very normal. Like, you always do that. And here, maybe I'm the only one who's gotten away from it. So I encourage you to, to make that a habit. For all of those reasons. And then the second thing that this verse tells us with our thankfulness is this develop an ongoing perspective of gratitude that causes you to live with an awareness of the blessings that we are given by God. So if you remember back to chapter 3, I know that's been a few weeks now, Paul reminded us of all that God has done for us in Christ. And he showed us about 30 different actions. And so I did that in this, that sermon, and it's, it's been a few weeks, so I'm going to read those again. And so just think about this as he's saying, be thankful always. So listen, if you can't think of one thing that you're thankful for right now in this moment, at least hear these 30 things of what God has done in the book of Ephesians declared over us. He has changed your identity. He has blessed you. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. He predestined you for adoption. He redeemed you through the blood of Christ. He forgave you. He has made you known. He has revealed the mystery of his will. He has given you an inheritance. He has secured your salvation. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given you wisdom. He has given you power. He has loved you. He has been merciful towards you. He has brought you from death to life. He has seated you with him in heaven. He has saved you by grace. He has given you a purpose. He has brought you near even though you were far off. He has given you peace. He has created a brand new race. He has created unity between cultures. He has leveled cultures. He has preached peace. He has made you a citizen of his kingdom. He has revealed truth. He has given you a community. He has given you an unshakable hope in him. And he has done these things in your life, laboring for your joy since the foundations of the world. Now, if that list of 30 things doesn't give you something to be thankful for, I don't know what will. I think about some of those traditions that, that maybe teach different things in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, they would be jumping up and down right now at that list of 30 things. <laughs> maybe I should go back and do it again. And I'm not saying I'm trying to create that or, or, or you know, make that environment happen here. But I think about those things and how excited. Like, that should cause us to smile. That should cause at least our heart to bubble over with joy and the thankfulness for what God has done. In verse 21, he says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission here connects us to the previous section and then leads us to what follows. Submission points back to verse 15 where we started this section. And he states that the, the general principles for submitting. And so Paul specifically gives us examples of submitting to one another by using family relations, which we're going to see further next week. So we'll actually start with verse 21 again next week as he talks about the spouse relationship. So make sure you come back for that one. But the word submit here, it means to arrange under as, as Christians Humbly serve one another. And so even if you think about the kind of the order of the church and, and Christian leadership, which Paul's talked about here in, in Ephesians for us, that even as a, a leader, that you are to humbly serve others. This is the, the authority and order that was established by God. So submitting to one another is also mark, the mark of a spiritual life. We see this within the Trinity. Um, I, I attended a church this morning, Eastbridge Church, and, and the pastor Kevin reminded us that, that you see within the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, how they submit to one another. There's this mutual submission that comes out of that. John Stott said that the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. And those who are truly filled with him always display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics that they submit to one another. 
And so we, and even we see Paul himself. Paul, who planted all of these churches, who wrote most of the New Testament that we study, and Paul has postured himself as a slave to everyone. 1 Corinthians 9.19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. John Calvin said that God has bound us so strongly to each other that no man ought to endeavor to avoid subjection. And where he love reigns, mutual services will be rendered. And so I, I think to, to wrap up and to close, when we think about the su- supreme model that we have for submission is Jesus Christ, the incarnate son, God himself, who came, he was stripped himself of his divinity in order to save us, in order to save you, in order to save me, in order to save this world that is around us. And so as we, as we do most weeks now, we're going to transition. We're going to move into a time of reflection and a time of, of celebration where we take the elements of communion, the bread and the wine. And so every week when we do this, I actually had a conversation this week with some other pastors on how often do you, do you, do you take communion. So I don't ever want it to become just this part of our just routine service. Like I walk in, I get a cup of coffee, and then 45 minutes in, I get some bread and I dip it into some juice. So I do want us to, to understand that it is a ref- time of reflection. So ask, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, we looked at it tonight, to, to want to fill you, but also reveal things in your heart that maybe you need forgiveness for, maybe you need reconciliation with somebody else. But also, then it's also a time of just celebrating, remembering what Christ has done. That's nothing that any of us have done. And when I think about the context of a church plant, you know, we want to we see this neighborhood change, we want to see Portland change. That's not going to happen on, on our own effort. It's going to happen on the Spirit of God raining down and filling us and, and as we leave this, this place. And so as we break off the bread, as you, as you break it, remember that, that represents Christ's body that was broken for you. And as his body was broken and the blood came gushing out, his blood was spilled for you. And so that's why we dip it into the wine. And we remember that thing. And so before rising out of your chair to partake in the elements of communion tonight, I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to do an inspection on your, ha- your heart. Ask God to help you apply the gospel to any area where you are struggling. Maybe there's an area of unbelief and say, God, help my belief. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then whenever you are ready, the elements are available for you. And then after a few moments, Mandy will come back up and close us out in another song of praise. And so I expect to hear louder voices as we all sing that final song based on what Paul has shown us in this passage. Pray with me. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.